Rutgers legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Yo, what is happening, my friend? Welcome to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of EnhanceYourEdge.com, Brad Wilson. Today's guest is one of the all-time beasts in both the online and live poker realm, Ari Engel. Ari has over $7 million in live tournament winnings, was the number one ranked online player for tournaments in 2006, and is currently the 35th ranked tournament player in the world, according to the Global Poker Index. Coming off of a scorching hot LAPC with two wins and two runner-ups, Ari is showing no signs of slowing down anytime soon. In our conversation, we're going to cover a ton of ground, including Ari's experiences with backers, unexpected acts of kindness in the poker world, and stepping out of your comfort zone when you see your fellow human beings being mistreated. You'll also learn how Ari used online trolls to improve his game, what Ari believes is an elite return on investment for every tournament you enter, hint, it was much different than what I had previously believed, how Ari's opinion on playing for the win, quote-unquote, has changed over the years, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you the perpetually great Ari Ingle. Ari, welcome to the show, my man. How are we doing? Great. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. I hear you're uh, live at the cheap hotel across from the bike. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, yeah, Almost yeah. live at the bike. <laughs> Almost live at the ba- bike. Uh, <laughs> we got a series yep. coming up that you're battling in? Um, so I was playing a lot at LAPC um, at Commerce, and um, that just got over. And I'm trying to figure out what my next plan is. So like yesterday, I was just tanking, and I didn't make a decision. And I was like kind of torn up between everything. And uh, I'm like, okay, I'm going to stay at uh, in LA one or two more days. So I there's there's like a they have this bad format which is i've done well in called quantum which i'm like uh kind of against but uh whatever they have what do you, what do you mean by bad format and that you're against it <laughs> um so uh it's a it's a format where like so you know normal normal traditional tournaments you buy in for a hundred dollars you get a hundred chips whatever the chips are and everyone's on an even plate and that's like the ideal when it comes to tournaments um, where, you know, no matter what, you could be the richest person in the world, poorest. When you get into the tournament, everyone's in the same slate. When you, when you lose your chips in the tournament, you're out. Some tournaments have gone to a re-entry um, uh, thing where when you get out, you're allowed to buy back in and start again. Yeah, Still, I've, heard, though, I've heard one or two people mention that on Twitter, I think. Yeah, basically, so these re-entry tournaments, <laughs> um, they're, they're not like from a, from like a pure, like a... A romantic notion of the game where everyone starts completely equal. You're not completely equal because you can buy in if you lose, but when you do buy in, you're not getting any more chips or any head start than everyone else. You're just getting the same chip stack. So it is still kind of even, at least somewhat. Um, what uh, 
Quantum does is it takes uh, these re-entries to the next level and it allows people to uh, buy in on day two for, let's say, 10 times the buy-in and getting eight times as many chips. So uh, you might get like what is an average stack going into day two, but you're going to be paying a lot more than uh, the people that played on day one will pay. The, the point of this, before we get into why I think it's bad, the, the, the reason why this is done and the good parts about this would be here you are, let's say you're playing a $100 tournament. The prize pool is very unlikely to get too big. But if you allow people to buy in for $1,000 on day two, all of a sudden the prize pool is getting much bigger. Now for your $100 entry, you have a chance um, to actually hit this huge prize. And for the, for the people that are buying in on day two, normally when you play $1,000 tournaments, you'd be playing against people that are willing to put up $1,000 into the tournament. Here, you're playing against people that have only put up $100 into the tournament. So you're playing against a weaker skill uh, basis. So that's a general idea about it. They've uh, Bike, the guy that runs Bike, uh, Mo is really into it. And uh, he's actually done a really good job like building this idea from um, nothing. No one had ever done something like this to something that's uh, very common in California, uh, at least. And uh, so they, they run a lot of these kind of tournaments. It's almost like... I mean, it's basically a satellite, right? It's like a satellite into a bigger buy-in tournament, but you just keep the chips from the satellite. Like, they just carry over. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of similar to that. Um, uh, another, like, slight uh, quirk to it is um, most of these tournaments, if you make day two, you will get some money at that time. So, uh, for example, the tournament going on right now, you, it might cost, there's, there's also, like, different buy-in points. So, like, the day ones have different buy-ins, but... Um, the point is, let's say in this $100 example, if you make day two, you might get $300 right away. And now you like start like the next tournament. And out of all the people that start day two and all the money that started day two, they'll also pay a lot. They'll pay 33% of those instead of the normal 12.5% or 15%. But the so, guys that uh, don't, you have to make it through day one, right? So the guys that buy in on day two, they don't get, they don't get 300 for cashing no, just no, right when they buy in, right? Exactly, exactly. So at the end of day one, anyone who survived from those low buy-in players will get some amount of cash. Usually it will ensure that they're in the profit right away. So they're, they're in some version of small profit right away. And then the people that make day two, all that money is collected up and, and that becomes a very... Uh, a very like uh you know like i was saying 33 percent of the field will pay yeah so it's a really like it's it's a weird and different format and it's not one that i would uh create myself having said that when you know five if five percent of my yearly schedule involves these kind of tournaments i'm okay with it and um <clears throat> out of the convenience of i'm in la already and i enjoy being in la and california i'm just probably going to end up playing it um but uh, even though it's not the format that i most love i think variety is kind of the spice of life right and like you said you know it's not going to be a huge percentage of tournaments in my opinion like i do feel playing freeze outs 100 percent of the tournaments that you play in might get a little boring like that could get a little monotonous over time so having different formats mixes it up a little right a little bit. Uh, I think tournaments inherently, though, given that the stakes are always increasing, there is that like increasing level of interest, excitement, different, you know, definitely super different. So like, you know, of course, when you're playing 150 blinds of the different at the beginning, 150 blinds deep, 
And then at the end, you're playing 15 or 20 or 30 blinds deep. Um, and you're always playing against different opponents. Um, so I do think, uh, it's, for me at least, it's not so much the monotonous of it. But yeah, that is, that is a point. And that's, you know, certainly like one of the things that I do enjoy is like playing in like different parts of the world against different competition with different structures and different formats and all that. Um, yeah, it is, it is, it is cool uh, having those differences. And adaptation, I think, as poker players, one of the edges that folks can get is when you introduce a somewhat new format to a field, the players that adapt the quickest are going to have the biggest edge in the field. And you're never going to get that opportunity if you're just playing, you know, freeze outs all the time because they're, you know, you have a strategy and that's, you're going to go into the tournament with the baseline strategy and then you're going to deviate based on the components of the table that you're playing at. But basically you don't have to really think on the fly is what I'm, what I'm getting at. But um, yeah. Are you going to buy in a, Day two, or are you going to play the day one? Um, so l- last night I played one of the day ones. Uh, probably I will play a day one today. And then if I don't make it through, I'd probably buy into the day two. There are, like, it's amazing nowadays, like the tournament scene, the live tournament scene, there's just so many choices and so many good choices um, to choose from. So it's like every, er- every week I have this, like, dilemma. There's, like, three places I want to be at the same time. And and you know this this week this week there's the same thing going on. There's a bunch of tournaments that that I could see myself going to. There's like four places that all have like their pros and cons for me at least right now. And then there's a bunch where I'm not even considering going to. Yeah. Tell me. So, congrats. By the way, you just took down. Oh no, you didn't take. Did you take down a tournament at the LAPC? I I did. I uh, I played. So I played a lot of tournaments, and a lot of the tournaments there uh, were small field tournaments. I did do really well. I had uh, two wins, two seconds, and a third. But again, you know, small field things, um, not not crushing it financially overall, but doing very good. Um, and um, yeah, thank you. And uh, so I, I knew you got second versus Anton Wig, who's uh, another one of my my. He's going to be coming on chasing poker greatness in the next nice. yeah in the next few weeks. But how do you go from battling these small fields, you know, two firsts, two seconds? to battling all day in a hundred dollar buy-in tournament basically i look at my year as having let's call it five hundred thousand in buy-ins definitely more than that and i'm gonna play let's keep it easy a hundred tournaments so my average buy-in is gonna be i'm at 500 (laughs) and uh and um and then it doesn't make a difference if this particular tournament is a $1,000 tournament or this particular tournament is a $200 tournament. It all goes into the same pool. It's all part of the same uh, thing. And if I don't treat if – I, if I play scared money in the $1,000 tournament and I don't treat the $100 tournament seriously, the whole equation doesn't work. And I need to recalibrate and, uh, and maybe make different decisions. So, yeah, that is actually um, – you know, I kind of laughed it off, but it is a little bit of a problem. Uh, you want to make sure that you're going to play in tournaments where you can, you know, play somewhere close to uh, your A game. And, um, and yeah, and if I, you know, historically when I have played too low or too high, um, there is that chance that I wasn't playing my A game. For sure. I mean, that's a very professional way to go about it. 
as far as you know, um, looking at it as average buy-in and then putting the action in. I'm assuming that if you have the opportunity to play a bigger tournament with a weaker field, you pretty much always choose that option, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. So, I mean, of course, in this hypothetical, um, but yeah, in real world examples, the higher the buy-ins go, the tougher the field is going to be in general. But yeah, finding those amazing, uh, I remember I in maybe 2012 or 2013, I won a satellite uh, to a $1,500 or $2,000 uh, US dollar main event in Philippines. So I probably shouldn't have been playing it, like if you're just looking at pure money wise, but I was also like looking to like satellite into these far flung tournaments and get the experience of going to these different places. And, uh, and I got to the Philippines and there were going to be two series back to back in two different series. I got there and uh, there was a 5K high roller at one of these stops. And my, my average, I was not playing 5K high rollers at the time at all, but I looked around and I, you know, I'm, I'm a big poker fanboy. So like, I know all the pros, um, I know all the people that have been on TV, et cetera, all that. And I didn't recognize anyone. And it was like 14 non-professionals, like two or three weaker level professionals. And so I jumped into it, even though it was like way bigger than what my normal buy-ins would be. Didn't even sell that much for it. Like I took a real big shot in those kind of things because it was that weird thing where you just mentioned where it's a high buy-in and a soft field, which, but that's like, that's not normal at all nowadays. Um, yeah. I just want to take a, a moment to point out what a horrible question that was. Um, <laughs> obviously you choose the high buy-in tournament with the softer field. Really, really dumb question. Um, moving forward. So, you're known as, you know, one of the hardest workers in pl- in poker. You put in a lot of volume. Do you know, you know, where does that work ethic come from? First of all, you know, I think some some version of competitiveness in in that family. Some, you know, uh, I don't, I, you know, I mean, I guess like the society and my parents and all that, um, and just like a general. Uh, Tell me about uh, the competitive competitiveness in your family. Well, uh, yeah. So I, I, my family, I, we didn't, I, I didn't feel super competitive in the family, but I just like, I always have been super competitive. I, uh, I was extremely sore loser as a kid. I, uh, you know, whether, you know, I, so like in elementary school, let's say in sports or middle school in that. And then like in high school, when it came to like classes and like DPA and stuff like that, um, and like AP class, SATs, all that. I was super, super competitive with other people. Yes. But also like with myself. Uh, yeah, I don't know exactly where I kind of, yeah, I definitely have, I've like, uh, been more, yeah, I, I guess you could say harder worker. I don't know if that's true. Like nowadays I feel weird using the term harder worker because I don't, I don't, when, when I'm playing tournaments all day, it doesn't feel like, or playing tons of live tournaments, like, the I, it, it's it's like I'm playing a lot of live tournaments, which are like the most public format of poker. So like everyone sees I play the most live tournaments. So like they're like thinking that, but there's like so many people that are like you know of course like no cash games, no no internet, not not almost almost like ninety eight percent of poker being played doesn't make it into any media. You know, so like I just play the kind of poker that is like super public. You know. Yeah, so I actually like I don't I, I think I play a lot of live tournaments and like people call that like hard working, but uh but no, like uh the, these like super high rollers, there's no chance like there's no chance like these like guys like studying solvers all day 
and being and like going from playing nothing to like 100k's in two years like those I mean I can't imagine that they're not studying like or putting in tons of hours and like extremely hard like I'm I'm sitting back at a live table getting food to the table standing up chilling getting a coffee it's not like I'm not doing like hard intensive work when I play live live poker tournaments. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, hard yeah, mental yeah. work, right? I mean, like it's hard to mentally stay in the game um, day in and day out and put in the volume in tournaments. I think like as poker players, it's easy to become complacent where if you're not feeling like you're going to play your A game or whatever excuse that you want to make to not play in a tournament, to take a day off. Lots of folks do that, myself included. Um, at various parts of my poker career. But I, I wanted to ask that question to segue into another question. I have a quote that that you said in an interview. You said you lose confidence very easily when you go on a downswing historically. And I have to imagine that live tournaments, volumes relatively low compared to like an online world, you're going to go on a downswing very often, very, very often. Yeah. yeah. So how do you continue fighting the good fight day in and day out when you lose confidence very easily? So I'm very lucky in the sense that I had, well, I'm very lucky in a lot of senses, but in this particular uh, version of it, I started playing poker seriously in 2004. I've, uh, I've been successful since then. So I've been playing a long, long time. I'm single. I have no responsibilities. Um, I have a, uh, you know, not like a low cost of living, but but I'm not not some like high cost of living person either. Basically, I have a nest egg. I've had a lot of success. When I go in a downswing, I don't need to pay bills with that money. Um, when I go in a downswing, it's not affecting my bankroll. It's not affecting the stakes that I can play. All those things. Having even with all that, I still get cr- like get mentally crushed in a lot of these downswings. But. Uh, but like anything that I'm going to say has to come from this. Like, and I like hate to talk like a social justice warrior person, but I really, I, I feel like it's true. Their language, like it, it comes from this place of privilege. Like I come from this place where like the downswings don't affect me. Like the, 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 the money wise at least. And that's like so big. Like, so, it is a uh, big part of it, but it's not everything. I think no, like, like, yeah, exactly. It's definitely not everything. And like I said, I'm very competitive and it's like, it's 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 crushing and also like so there's another thing which you kind of uh maybe talked around it i'm not sure exactly but like i've always played lower average buy-in than someone of my success level would otherwise play so that has allowed me to you know kind of also like limit the downswings limit these things i'm playing higher roi situations but it's like over the long run, I'm limiting my own expectation when, when I do this, when I'm like constantly jumping down, constantly playing lower than I should. Do you have any and, regrets? Uh, do you have any regrets about playing lower? Yeah, I mean, you know, so, uh, well, you know, I, I try to look at things more like uh, on continuum-based approaches rather than yes or no. So certainly, yeah, something along in, the, in that regret family that I moved to, but I'm like sliding back and forth because also like I never went busto like after as after being a professional poker player so like that is really huge and like some uh, I didn't want it like that was something that was a that that I tried very hard to to like make sure so I remember in like 07 or something like uh Johnny Bats Cliff Josephy he was like uh you know he's obviously like crushed poker forever but he used to run one of the biggest poker backing firms 
And I, I think he still does something in that family. And um, I was on the phone with him and he goes, let, let, there's, a, there's a 10K coming up next week. Let's start a deal. Let me put you into this 10K. Let's go. Let's go. Just get into it, you know? And he like wanted to lock me up. And, uh, and like, I would like, I didn't play 10 Ks. Like it was like somewhat super exciting to do that, but it was constantly in my mind, the way these makeup deals work where like, I'm going to play a 10 K and then I'm going to be grinding online tournaments for 75 average buying, trying to make up that 10, those 10 Ks. And like, I didn't want to do that and I didn't need the backing for online. So, so we didn't, we didn't end up making that deal. Was there any uh, way to, to structure the deal where it was only like higher buy-in live tournaments or did I think, it need uh, to be everything? Right. I think, uh, I think that's definitely something, um, that, that, that different backers would be open to. And as I became more successful, that is ultimately what I did uh, a time or two, something, uh, maybe for your listeners who are going through a hard time. I've, I've, I've been involved in, uh, business relationships, backing deals or buying pieces with three different people in long-term situations. And, uh, all three of them have, on their side, single-handedly dropped me. Like I, I was happy to stay, and they got rid of me. Um, so uh, why? Yeah. Why did that happen? Well, the the first guy said that um, I was one of their only successful horses, and they were they had started a backing fund, and they were getting too much in the hole, and they were worried about their liquidity, so they needed to get rid of some of their horses that were not in makeup, so they'd still have uh, funds to keep funding the ones that were in makeup. Uh, makes Which sense. You they have one sense. one successful horse, so let's let's cut him. That's... Well, it wasn't. <laughs> it, I, I wasn't like I wasn't hugely successful for them, and I had um, I was somewhat successful, and I had a good deal. But yeah, I wasn't sure also if he was just lying to me and just wanted to drop me for whatever. Re- like I was, I would. I'm the kind of horse where I tell my backer the worst hand I played every day. There's some some horses want to show off to them. Um, I thought my at the time I thought my backer was better at poker than me. So I would always say the worst hand that I'd play and try to get uh, advice for it. And my friends were always like in the background, why are you telling them that? Like, what are you doing? Like, that's such a horrible play, you know? Um, but uh, but, I, but I, it was not my concern to like have someone back me that didn't want to back me or like even like I've, I've dealt with like some non-poker uh, professionals also. So that first guy was a poker professional, all that. When I dealt with non-poker professionals, I was like, do as upfront as I can be about how like the downswings work and how I'm going to lose most of the time, how there's a shit ton of variance, excuse my language. Um, and, um, and yeah. And so, um, the, the, the other two people were like, one of them was a uh, complete non-professional complete, actually not like very not into poker almost at all. And I went on a 30 K downswing playing live tournaments, which is not very much at all. And he, and I go to him, look, uh, this is super normal and we just don't know like I can get it out of a next tournament or it could continue going and uh and he decided to stop stop it there and then uh and then one of the other guys was just taking pieces for uh a while and we had a personal falling out it's uh the backing game is tough it's it's like a catch-22 I mean anybody that's not familiar with poker that doesn't understand the swings that doesn't understand the variance is going to get afraid after a certain period of time, like their tolerance is going to be much lower than it should be. But, um, so now, now no backer, you're just battling on your own. Yeah. So like, uh, 
after I won Aussie Millions, which was in 2016, that's my big score and my signature uh, score um, over a million dollars. So uh, big change financially, big change uh, confidence-wise. Uh, Do you have 100% uh, of yourself? I didn't have 100%, but I had a nice, uh, nice healthy chunk. And um, after that, I, I, I then hit my second biggest score that same year. And things were just going really, really good. My, my conf- although, although the, the, the side story was after Aussie Millions, I went to uh, EPT in Ireland and I bricked 25 straight tournaments. In, and I don't have an Irish, I've never cashed in Ireland. And uh, yeah, so, so, you know, it's interesting the way poker, poker goes overall. But um, anyways, at, at that time, I started, I, I was really getting close to my peak poker confidence relative to the field. Uh, maybe, maybe in in the online days, I had had that same feeling, but it it had been a long while since I'd felt that confident relative to the field, and and I decided uh, together with like the poker industry felt like it was kind of pushing me in this direction, meaning like all my friends, all my colleagues, or all that were like pushing me in a direction that I should be playing higher, and in the past when they had pushed me in that direction it had been for my own benefit, meaning kind of like what we discussed earlier, where like, do I have regrets? Like I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat too nitty. So I remember I was playing a HPT 1600 and um, a, a, a top professional at the time. Uh, I'm not even a hundred percent sure who it was. Goes, why the hell are you not at this WPT 10 K or whatever? Like you just can't be making enough to like justify your, your way good enough to be playing the 10 K. And so like, I started playing more main events after that, more of the bigger buy-in main events rather than the like smaller buy-in main events. And uh, that was real helpful. So like, so like I do listen when, when the, when like the, when the general world seems to be pushing me in a way and it's like people that I respect. Anyways, I started playing some 25 K some high rollers, trying to pick the better ones. And for those, I always sold uh, action uh, maybe one or two times. I didn't, but almost always uh, sold sold a bunch of action for those, and I kind of viewed it as, uh, you know, um, I'm you like I'm I also oh, like even within my nittiness and all that, because I view these things as like a yearly basis thing. I've always put in three percent of my schedule being hard high buying tournaments, like you know that I'm so like I've I've all even when I was like grinding like circuit stuff mainly, there was always like an EPT stop a year. Where where I can battle uh, against the better players against the people that still play online. Why? To make sure that I'm because like so I grew up playing online uh, playing online poker. I always viewed online poker as like the major leagues and like uh, online. So basically, like an online one k tournament might be equivalent in toughness to like the ten k live, like a ten to one ratio or something like that. It's not like completely true, but but I kind of viewed it in in that sense. So like. It's probably actually Friday. worse. <laughs> yeah. The 1K is probably a lot more, t- a lot tougher than the 10K, actually. Yeah, 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 that's actually true. <laughs> so um, after Black Friday, uh, I played online for a little bit, and then, then I diverted to playing live tournaments. And I just naturally went to these, like, lower buying stuff. Even though I'd been, like, playing, I think, I think like, playing definitely over $100 average buying tournaments, you know, uh, so it was, like, medium to upper stakes tournament, especially in those days. And um, there's no reason why I should have dropped down and been playing like five or $600 average buying live tournaments or maybe 800 or whatever it was. Um, I was playing a lot of $300 live tournaments over the course of my year. 
um, a lot of circuit stops and stuff like that. So, but even during that time, I played some high stuff. I'm not sure where I was going or what question I was answering. <laughs> you just went off in a direction on your own. Yeah. I, yeah. I will say, like, I, it's always surprising to me. I guess it probably shouldn't be surprising to me at this point. The kindness of poker players, right? Because the the crusher that tells you to play more 10Ks, and he's like, why are you here playing this 1500? I mean, that doesn't benefit him. That That actually probably hurts him over the long run depending on like yeah. the amount of people that he pulls to the 10k if if those are that's his stomping grounds right but like yeah. hugely hugely beneficial to you it's it's just a, I, a I great kindness that, i will say that that person uh probably would have tried to buy pieces of me in uh in in those big vines if i played and might have gotten a piece or two um so it wasn't completely out of the night actually i found and, and and i agree with you there is a lot of this kindness in poker and like it does feel like uh, the poker world on average has has like a higher caliber uh, level or at least the people I've encountered, I've been very impressed. And um, and I mentioned, you know, I've mentioned on, uh, on Twitter on one time, like uh, I'm not such a religious Jew at the moment. When I started playing poker, I was much more religious, much more openly. And like, you know, I've never encountered anti-Semitism at the table. Um, I have seen other versions of bigotry. I'm not saying the poker world is... Uh, perfect, definitely not, but it is it is uh, kind of uh, special. I think in general that the poker is, the poker world is um, as a whole, with exceptions, uh, pretty nice. Um, I will say though, on on that note, where like learning from people and like I've actually gotten a lot from the other side from the people that are trying to be assholes, and uh, you know, so like this used to happen a lot on the forums. Um, in like 2006, I was ranked as the number one online player for tournaments, and uh, at that time, I was doing a lot of unconventional things. A lot of them were very good. A lot of them were very bad. And um, it seemed like every day there was a post on the forum saying, like, what the hell is this Ari guy doing? Like, we thought he was good. How can this hand make any sense? Like, like uh, and there was all sorts of things. And um, there was one guy in particular. Um, I'm not sure. I'm hoping everything is okay with him because I haven't heard from him in a little bit. But he was, like, one of the really big characters in the poker world. His name is Stealthma. And... Um, he made a deep run in the main event a couple of years ago. He's a you know very very big character in the poker world, and and I sucked out on him with three people left in the three hundred dollar tournament online in like two thousand and six. And for like eight years after that, like he he just used to like berate me about the hand, <laughs> and like and like he and 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 those kind of things. And like it, he was right though. Like the, like I was making a lot of the a lot of mistakes I was doing, and I was defending at the time. Like, no, I'm so good. Like, you guys don't understand the reads that I make. Like, he took three seconds extra in the timing. It had to like it's always this when you know when they do, when they do it too quickly. It's always that. And uh, I had all these reasons from for, for what I was doing, and uh, really I was fooling myself. And I was you know self honesty and self reflection is so important as a poker player. But I was able to like use this like uh, berating and like kind of like trolling that people were doing to to my benefit, you know. Uh, at times, uh, so so to, like to I've give never you fuel to not to give me fuel to even know what I was doing wrong. Oh, like, so I, you yeah. use it as a feedback mechanism? Exactly, exactly, exactly. So like sometimes it's like the nice people say like, "Hey, you should go to this tournament to help me," but sometimes it's like the trolling. And that also is like could be helpful. Like actually, probably more often it's been the like trolling people have done and the sh- and you know the shit talking and stuff like that that has helped me. 
theoretically, I, I think that it's because when people do that sort of thing, they're they're triggered. They're in an emotional state. They're angry, and because they're angry, they want to prove how dumb you are and how smart they are. So they actually tell the truth. One quick story from early in my career at a cash game, a friend of mine who was more emotionally compromised than I ever was, but also likely a better natural poker talent than me. We were playing in a game and there was one specific player who had uh, like really the easiest physical tell in the world. He would get involved in a big pot. If you tanked long enough, so like 30 seconds or so, he would start talking and being very loud, like very animated. And it's just like 100% always strong when he does it, like always, always. And he starts tanking this one time and my friend has like a, a, a massive hand and he's running bad, he's losing in the game and dude starts talking, you know, he starts standing up and you know, stands up, he's like whooping and carrying on and hollering. And my friend just like, turns up like the second or third nuts and like face up. And he's like, well, since you, since you started screaming and yelling, I'm just going to fold this. And like, she folds it face up. And like, I played against that guy for hundreds of hours in the future. Never once did he ever stand up and yell again, ever. And (laughs) I'm just like, what? Like, what is like, I don't understand people. Like they, they have a natural edge against somebody that's, the number one ranked online player in the world. So naturally, what's the best strategic move there? Oh, let's tell him about it. And so that he can plug the leak and get better. Exactly. that makes so much sense, right? Yeah, yeah, and and uh, I mean, you do you do see like uh, most of the people that acted like that don't last in the poker world. Um, Not even no, my my friend either, because again, he emotionally compromised, and when you carry that level of emotion day in and day out, it's not sustainable. You eventually crack and it becomes just too much for you. Like berating you for six or seven years after the fact, imagine, like (laughs) he's playing tournaments all the time, right? Like imagine the baggage, the emotional baggage he's carrying with himself every day for seven or eight years. Like it's really, it's really insane. But also speaking on that same thing, like there is this, this belief that I have where, if everybody understands what you're doing and everybody gets the logic behind it and that's how they construct uh, their decision-making at the table, then you're likely not going to be the best player in the world, right? Like you're the best player in the world when people don't understand exactly what you're doing or why you're doing it. I think historically that was more true as, as the, as the artificial intelligence gets better and stuff like that. I mean, you don't, you don't see people questioning what, you know, Stephen Chidwick, the moves he's doing it's like occasionally you get like some like completely out of the box and probably if you watch them all the time in fairness you probably would get that a little more but like most of their most of the plays these guys do are like so sharp and so like sick on on point that uh that it's hard to like look at it and be like wtf was he doing you know yeah we're going back to like you know mainly i think i'm speaking about like 2010 before yeah, exactly. before we yeah, have right, this right, right, right. 
before we have the yeah. solvers, before we can node lock and like reverse engineer exactly why somebody is taking a line that they're taking. To me, it's always been relatively easy figuring out why somebody is doing something like reverse engineering it. It's like, what's the incentive here? What must they know in order to make this decision? And like sometimes if, if it's like a live event that's like cut up into, into just different pieces, somebody will do something completely off the wall that can be taken out of context from the broader picture. You know, it could be a meta thing. It could be just some tendency that they've picked up on after playing with guy for 12 hours that they go ahead and exploit. And then it looks really funky, um, yeah. just taken by all by itself. So another quote, another quote from hey. Mr. Ari, uh, <laughs> this was 2013. You said it's hard okay. Uh, card player lifestyle actually shout out to Robbie Straczynski who's a former chasing poker greatness guest you said it's hard enough making a living in the poker world in 2013 but when you combine that with the extra expenses associated with traveling the circuit it becomes close to impossible now it's seven years later you have uh, more experience traveling and playing under your belt do you stand by that statement Um, what has changed in the last seven years so um, I do some. I do mainly stand by that statement. Um, when I was referring to the circuit, then I was re- specifically referring to like the low buy-in tournament, w, like WSOP circuit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like like specifically that. But even if you included, you know, the other mid-level MSTTs and HBT style brands, it like okay. So the main event is like fifteen hundred, let's say, and. Uh, you can play five or five or six other tournaments with let's say 500 average buy-in. So uh, let's say five tournaments. So we got 2,500 there, and 50, so we got 4K. We got 4K of buy-ins in the week. You know, we're gonna we're gonna say you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna spend a little bit on your hotels. You're gonna spend seventy dollars a night times five or six nights. Um, so we got 350 there, and we got you know a couple of hundred extra. For, let's say for a plane ticket or something like that. Got to eat. So on your, you got well. You eat everywhere, so I don't know if we need to include uh, That's eating. True. Although, although, but it may be a little bit higher of an eating cost. But uh, so, like, we're doing it as cheaply as we can, and we got five or six hundred in expenses on our four thousand in buy-in. We're one of the better players, so we're going to make a twenty-five percent return on 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 our buy-ins, which is really way one of the better players. Like, uh, in order to beat this twenty percent high rake or seventeen percent. Like, uh, you know, it's so, but we're going to be optimistic. You're making a thousand bucks and your $4,000 in entries. You have $700 in expenses. So now you've made $300 and you expected to play five hours a day. You made $300 working your 25 hours in the course of the week. You're, you're away from your family and friends and normal thing. It just doesn't make sense. Like you can't, you can't do that. You really think 25% ROI is expectation for live tournaments? That seems low to I, me, but I mean, uh, I mean, so the so the most live tournaments have 150 people, like during the week at 300. dollars There's not going to be very many people that are having higher than 25 percent in the tournament. Like, how how does it work? Like, you have 150 people. No one has a hundred negative 100 percent ROI. You know, um, it just like when you start doing the math of what each person, you know, and there's out of that 150, there's 30 people that are claiming to somewhat be a pro. You know. Um, there's like, there, you know, uh, out of that 150, a hundred think that they're actually profitable, you know, 
obviously that's well, not maybe the case. 150 think they're profitable. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> yeah, okay, but we're being like, I'm, I'm trying to be like somewhat realistic. Yeah, you know? yeah uh, I know, I'm just, yeah, and uh, so like within that, I think like people way overestimate their ROIs, uh, way overestimate potential ROIs, and um, and like everyone thinks that they're better than they are. I mean, most of these tournaments are re entry, like, where do you think, like. Like how do, like you're not crushing it at all. Like the better players, none of the best players are busting in the first half of the tournament because it's unlimited reentry forever. You know, um, you just don't like you know. Yeah, I think twenty five percent. Like, yeah, yeah. If you're playing the tournament, you have a twenty five percent ROI at max, basically. Otherwise, you're moving up and you're like going to where you have you know twenty five percent at max. Well, what uh, you, in general, what's been your ROI for like the last last year? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, maybe probably probably in that neighborhood, probably in the twenty five percent neighborhood. But uh, but I don't know. But one year of live tournament really is like doesn't make a difference. I mean, you take out one. I, one it was an ar- arbitrary yeah. duration. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if yeah, any any statistics or data but, that, but, that you but, had. But would be also, helpful. like, I wouldn't say like I'm a good example to use. Like, I'm supposed to be one of the best players. Like, I'm definitely in like the tournaments that I'm playing in. Like, oh I'm, no, it's my own curiosity. I want to yeah. know what oh, one yeah, of the best. Okay. I want to know like what one of the best players ROI is okay. over oh, over a sustained that, period of time. Yeah, right, right. That that's fair. Um, but I would just like caution like the viewer like don't whatever number I would give like you shouldn't think that's like that even like possible like you know. Like it's like one, it's like these actors, like you think you're going to like make your, if you're like starting to become an actor or like developing or whatever, you can't look at like the top actors, what they're actually making because that's like but so I think, few people. I think like realistically people that are, that are, you know, on their path, chasing poker greatness, maybe the folks that are looking to make this a profession nice, nice to kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. got to get, got to get it in there. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. looking at like what the top level of possibilities are from a realistic perspective and somebody that's in the game, that's battling, that has results over a sustained period of time. It is helpful to know, like, that's you know, fair, that's what's fair. the gold medal? What's the trophy? What's the pot of, yeah. pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? Yeah. I, if, if, if I had a guess, um, you know, I would say, uh, I would say probably, probably that 25% number is, uh, is fairly accurate. Um, for, for most years, um, I don't know. Maybe maybe fifty percent is more is more accurate for me. Uh, That's a big I, difference. Yeah, I, I, know, I, know, I know. I know. That's not a I'm small like, difference. I'm I'm starting to like think like I have like general numbers in my head, uh, more like on the profit side, and then I'm trying to think of like what my buy-ins have been during those uh, during during past years. Um, of course, like like you know about these kind of things, but like whenever I talk to like people outside of podcast uh, outside of poker, like I I talk so much about how crazy like tournament poker is in the sense of like it's like the only the the very few scores that i make like the few wins that i have in big tournaments they're everything you know like like my live tournaments probably like three or four of those tournaments are like out of out of the 400 caches that i have or 350 probably three or four of them is like a quarter of the quarter of the money won you know or maybe even more than that so it's like uh, every year it's like, what's my ROI? Well, you want to take at you with that, with the biggest score or without the biggest score, you know, without the biggest score, it's like, it might not be profitable. Like it might be zero. It might be negative. Yeah. But that's why we play, right. To get the biggest scores like it. Yeah. You know, you can't take them out because that's, that's the goal. 
Um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also like, okay, so like my Aussie millions went, like, do you want to count it over one year or like, you should really be like, uh, uh, what, what is it that they do with taxes where like over 10 years it's accounted for? You yeah. That, that would be more fair. And that's like kind of the way I looked at it. Yeah, I would like all the data. <laughs> yeah, I would like I would like to look yeah. at the whole all, every as much as humanly possible because that's how I uh, how I tick on the inside. Speaking of the Aussie millions, right? Like this is a million dollar victory. How did that feel? Taking that one down for a million. It uh, relief was like the the biggest the biggest feeling that I had. Um, like you, you get there's so many more 14ths and 17ths and 27ths than there are one twos and threes, and uh, you get this sense, or one one could get this sense, especially if one is like a little more like some people I've met in poker have like the more Phil Hellmuth kind of thing where like they're overconfident, and then some people are more like me where like they're more underconfident. You know, I'm way more towards that underconfident side. And you get and, and when you start capping out in these big tournaments at 14th and 27th, you start feeling like am is maybe maybe I can't do that. Maybe I can win 150 online and uh, 1500 live, but like a 10k live, maybe I'm just like maybe I need to get as lucky as like these super lucky players to get there. And like maybe I'm not good enough. It's super slow structure. My style is like very aggressive, very crazy. Um, very unorthodox. Like I've had a lot of good players, like like uh, Joe McKeon, who won the main event. He's like one of the main ones. So we have like a trolling kind of relationship. But like he like cons- and it's like kind of the same thing I was telling you about stealth Mike earlier. But like I have learned something from like his like constant trolls of me. But like one of the things like he he's always saying is like that my style is not good for like ma- for the main event. And what he's able and and like. So results influence us. And for me, I've never cast. He's got the perfect style for the main event, right? He won it, obviously. So he's perfect. And I've never cashed in it. So I've never, I've played it. It's so sick because like for a tournament player, the main main event is is the main event. And like you always, you remember when you play it. You remember I played it once, I played it twice. I've lost it so many times that I've actually lost count of how many times (laughs) that I've played it. Um, like maybe like 10 11 12 13 something something like that um so it's like really sick like i've been killing tournaments all these years the main event is known to be like a sick tournament and like i've gotten a ton of chips i've gotten 15 times the start stack three different times and uh you know like at worst 10 times the start stack would cash like nowadays it's like uh the average is 10 times when you cash in the olden days when 10 percent paid and nowadays the average is like seven times the start stack or you know and like i got up to 15 and i still wasn't able to cash you know uh so yeah so joe will tell me like i'm doing a bunch of things that are wrong in these main event style things and like uh this is like nowadays like he's telling me but in in those days i was thinking like i was thinking those thoughts those same thoughts that like i'm doing something wrong in these main events and uh it's so hard to like it's so hard to like win and like i mean I just, uh, I'll go on a tangent here, but like I just had a final table in Australia this past year where I came into the final 10, I was chip leader. And then there were still 10 left and I was last in chips. And like, luckily I was able to like write the ship again and I ended up winning it. 
but like that's insane to like and that's happened before where i come into the final table as chip leader and i get out seventh or ninth or whatever like so i was expected like where along the lines am i gonna mess this up um and like and here we are now at the highest of high stakes like that i've ever played for and like i'm you know I, I, I try and play my best. I've played so much poker. Like it's like hard for me to play bad, but like the money is like completely out of control, completely out of anyone's bankroll that's there. And, um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I mean, obviously excited and all that also, um, just like, wow, this is amazing. This is what we've all been, you know, this is what I've been playing for forever. Uh, but also relief that I, that it didn't, that it actually worked out. Yeah. I mean, Going back to my days on party poker, like battling in the two hundred dollars sit and goes, like I, I for sure remember going, you know, twenty five sit and goes without winning one, um, and yeah. asking myself, like, Jesus Christ, like, am I ever going to win a freaking sit and go ever again? And like, these are final tables, right? Like, you can you yeah. can lose a ton of final tables before you actually take one down, and it is, you know, you don't get as many opportunities, obviously, and um, it can be, yeah, it can be a. Uh, it can, it can mess with your mind for sure. Uh, don't feel bad, by the way. A uh, good friend of mine, Jesse Yaganuma, has never cashed in the main event either. And he was telling me that over like a four-year stretch, I think he made day three every single day without cashing. Um, and yeah, wow. Wow. <laughs> he's wow. like, yeah. basically, he had the distinction of playing in the main event longer than anybody else in the world without making any money. Um, yeah. But wow. yeah, it's... Uh, it's insane, yeah. The, the 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 variance that's possible in poker. I mean, I ha- I went to the World Series for 15 years, and I never made a top nine finish at the World Series, and like all while having like this super high ROI the rest of the year, and like it was like that was really getting to my head. Also, like the World Series, like what is what is up with Vegas in the summer? Um, and then last year I had a great summer, and like my ROI in, in Vegas now is amazing overall. You know, it's like completely healthy and fine. And and yeah, yeah, it's like it it really can get into your and that's as like I'm a super professional. Like I got every all my stuff in line. Like I'm like as professional of a professional as you can get. And yet, like I have not been able to avoid like having these like mental fall ups and 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 like all these things messing with my head. Everyone does. It's part of the journey. It's just part of it. You go to bed and you, you, you wake, you go to bed with the thoughts in your head. Like, do I just not have it anymore? Did I just, did I just forget everything that I ever thought I knew about poker? Did I just get lucky for 10 years straight? Like, is it, it, my luck's finally running out, right? Like I'm. Or whatever. um, Or like I used to be good enough and now, and like at some stage, you know, maybe I won't be like, uh, it doesn't seem that crazy of an idea to think like at some stage I won't be able to be like very good. Yeah. So maybe that's today. You're that very, seems a little crazy. You're, but you're too humble. That, that I, I would, I'm going to say the line on that is no chance unless you start like actively losing your mind um, <laughs> while hope, you're playing I hope, cards. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Um, you know, and also as, so every day that I get more experience and more better and also get unfortunately closer to the end of my life, like, you know, but those things are like make the 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 likelihood of me sucking at poker relative to the field goes down um, every day that I keep not. You know, so so the, the you know these feelings, even if I go in a downswing today, I I feel like that feeling would not be as strong as it might have been four years ago or six years ago or eight years ago. Um, I feel very yeah. confident about the future of live poker. 
I think live poker, cash, live poker tournaments are going to be beatable for for a while. Online, I have like negative confidence in online over the long term, but live, yeah. live, I'm pretty confident. And I would say like, okay. you, you know, I, I would say that you're. <laughs> Anybody that takes you on as a horse is going to be a plus EV investment over the next 10 years. Like it's almost, yeah, yeah. it's almost impossible in my opinion. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I, I hope you're right, but, uh, but I feel like if you went through history, you would find people that have been in my, uh, that have been in somewhat of a similar shoe to where I am today relative to the poker world. And then, uh, and then, and then did fall off. Um, but whether it's, it's hard to know. Yeah. Again, I'm going to disagree because they're okay. not they're not Ari, right? They're not you. And like you said, as a professional's professional, that's going to be yeah. a lot different than that is very helpful. Yeah, yeah. Than I do have uh, old man yeah. coffee in the '90s, not understanding what they're doing wrong in 2010, um, and not being able to make adjustments. Like I feel like yeah. it's a you're, it's a different animal. I, I don't think that's really a yeah. great great comparison. It's No, you're right. You're right. And actually, one of the things that uh, this is kind of a side note, but one of the things I really enjoyed in the last year. So as as time has gone on, I've become more confident as a poker player, more confident as a person. I mean, I really feel like poker has just been unbelievably beneficial to my life, forgetting about the financial perspectives, just like teaching me how uh, ideas to think about life. And uh, five years ago, if someone misbehaved at the table, my move was always the same thing. I was just like quiet, rolled up into a ball and didn't want to say anything, didn't want to antagonize that person. Most likely they're a losing player if they're going to act all crazy. Uh, even a winning player, I was like, look, I'm not messing with the crazy person. But like now, like I'm just like, uh, I'm, I'm almost the first person to like, you know, if, if someone is like rude to a dealer or just like out of line or whatever, like, a lot of times they're actually, so like I've been playing a lot with, in this last month, I played mixed games, 500 or 400 buy-ins to like 2K buy-ins tournaments. So like this mid-stake mixed game world. And it's like, it's almost a, a window into what poker was like 15, 20 years ago. There's been very little new blood injected into this. Um, most of the players have been playing 15, 20 years. And a lot of the attitudes that were okay 15, 20 years ago are still prevalent in, in these circles. So it was like, I had to tell like, like one of the best players, the guy, this guy's won like three bracelets in, in a particular version mixed game. He's like, a, he's like a beast. He's, he's one of the best of this and he's berate, and he loses the, the hand and he's berating the player who made a mistake. And like, you know, just like a really common thing. Like, and I had to like pull him aside and he's like, thank you for doing that and all that. Like he and he knows he definitely knew better, you know. But it was just like in the heat of the moment, or you know, we had um, we actually unfortunately we had one of the guys who was doing the LAPC had this player of the lead, uh, player of the series leaderboard, and the guy who at the time was number one. I, I don't think he ended up as number one, but uh, <laughs> I, I, it was like it was it, it was a very enjoyable experience getting to play with these kind of players. He claims to be a professor we don't know the table wasn't sure if he was lying about it or not um but they've been playing with him for 15 years they, they still <laughs> don't know, you know and um he a, a particular dealer came to the table and he was like he just gets up and leaves oh no no he didn't even get up so he got up and leave he came back and he's sitting at the table he's like i don't want to look at my cards this dealer is not a good dealer for me did not like 
it's stud. Like you can potentially have like an ace show in the Raz or whatever. But like some of these games are like there's like these must steal spots or like um you know like spots where it's like really like you can have complete monsters. Like you definitely would want to play. I guess every game can have that, even if you want to play like a knit. But he just he just wasn't at all. So so, so he's like a unique personality. But then and that was kind of fun. But then, like the next day, he was he he tilted off at at a dealer and wished her coronavirus. Jesus. So uh, yeah, and like the table was like, oh fuck, this guy again. Like, what's he doing? But uh, but like I called the floor. I got up in the like you got to like the floor is like kind of you know like these kind of like loudmouth live guys. Like a lot of times they like bully the floor into not penalizing them and stuff like that. I was like, you got to give this guy a penalty like for that, you know? And and they did and whatever and it was and it was okay. But like. I do find like my confidence has increased and I'm more able to like, in, you know, like interact and like use my position that like people know I'm a winning player. And it's a, it's a little different when you're like a young kid, like the way people treated me at the table 10, 10, 12 years ago, it was really good for me because everyone just thought that I didn't really know what I was doing. And I was a young inexperienced kid and didn't look like, you know, I have sweaty hands. I look like I'm not that I don't fit in, especially like, let's say, when I was religious and I was wearing a yarmulke at the table, it was like, it was the dream. Like I always talk about, yeah, cause you want, you want to like, you want to be different than the image you're portraying. Like if I could dress up as like a 90 year old lady, like Phil Locke did kind of, you know, but that's like, that, that's the kind of image. Yeah. yeah. I went through a stretch playing uh high stakes cash games in the Bay area where I dressed up in a suit, like, yeah. every single session like i had a suit i went in there like didn't have the sweatpants didn't have the t-shirt and like people treat you differently at yeah. when you dress differently like they sure. they perceive you automatically as something that you're not which in the poker world having a you know portraying an Im- image that's different from reality is really 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 profitable and good yeah i mean i i i remember going to as as I was getting started playing more live tournaments, but still I was primarily an online player. So I was playing, you know, hundreds and thousands of tournaments. I mean, I'm one of the most experienced players when it comes to tournament poker um, in the last few years at this time. This might have been 08, something 09. And I go play a 5K in Council Bluffs, Iowa, like in the middle of nowhere. No, no professionals will go to this. It was like a circuit main event style thing. Had like 80 people, almost all from like, driving distance local i decided to fly in from vegas but this was not a common thing that other people from vegas would come for and uh you know no one knew me there and uh these like older people are like treating me like i'm you know like a baby like learning the rules <laughs> of the game. like and it was great and i i played into it like i play and started asking them questions and all that and, and in, in the meantime like completely getting into their thought process you know like they're telling me exactly the way they're thinking and they're completely underestimating. And, and then if they ever see me do, like I remember one hand where it was like a two blind stack went all in and then like four people called and I had like, let's say queen jack or something in the small blind and I re-raised and then everyone folded and I get heads up putting in two blinds, getting seven to one on my money. It's like a standard, normal, amazing thing that happened. And the table is like, and there was like 16 left, like losing one player means nothing, you know, like very little. And the rest of the table is like, no, you need to lose the player. Like, you made a big mistake here. You call and you check it down yeah. unless you have yes. the nuts yeah. every yeah. time. Which is, like, such a common thing in, like, low stakes. But this was a 5K main event tournament. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, it was great. And they complete and – I, and I loved it. Like, you know, so, like, 
the some of the best thing like I love it when I see like let's say I don't know if I've actually directly seen this but like let's say I see someone completely abusing like the stereotype someone else has about them let's say there's a real racist person there and someone from a minority completely you know, like the the racist guy goes these minorities suck at poker and then the guy the minority like owns him out in a big pot like that that kind of shit I love to see so like I love like abusing like oh oh you think like a religious person is going to be like a tight ass and not know how to play okay great three bet your ass like crazy you know what what whatever whatever the situation and I like I get enjoyment like seeing that kind of thing like I try and get enjoyment from like these little uh these little side uh things that go on at the table and I do get like some like life force like uh like pumping me up uh when I see things like that for sure. And by the way, you just completely ruined the 5K Council Bluffs um, main event. Now <laughs> it's going to be inundated with all the pros <laughs> taking yeah, I, a, I, I, <laughs> all the young pros taking advantage of the old folks. Um, yeah, I, I waited 10 years to tell that story for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> what is up, my loyal Chasing Poker Greatness listener? Coach Brad here, and I just wanted to take a moment to ask you a simple question. How many times have you heard my guests and I speak passionately about the benefits of poker coaching? You get to expand your poker network, receive expert feedback you can rely on, and have your burning questions answered by a trusted mentor. Which brings me to the Poker Power Hour, a series of 100% free Live one-hour poker webinars, masterclasses, and hand history breakdowns that kick off each and every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Poker Power Hour will be led by me, Coach Brad, as well as some of your favorite Chasing Poker Greatness guests. It will be your weekly guide for helping you plug your leaks, skyrocket your poker growth, expand your network of crushers, and inevitably win more money on the green felt. The Poker Power Hour is premium content and live only. There will be no free replays or view on demand, and the content will eventually be released as paid training only. So head to EnhanceYourEdge.com, opt in to the Poker Power Hour, and get for free today what you'll have to pay for it later. Once again, to catch the Poker Power Hour every single week, Head to EnhanceYourEdge.com and join the email newsletter. Now, back to the show. So today, what does your process for regularly improving your game look like? My process for regularly improving my game is uh, playing and thinking about hands and discussing with friends uh, those hands, reviewing hand histories. And um, watching, uh, watching like, uh, you know, live streams and things like that. How do you review uh, hand histories, like as granularly as possible? So I open up Poker Tracker and I click on an old tournament that I or a friend have played on. And we replay every hand. And I usually do it in like a group of like two to three people. And uh, we just discuss every hand, uh, like what 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 we think we should do you know and then it's like okay did that happen or not um and uh and then kind of go into tangents sometimes from from that but you know a lot of fast forwarding but then a lot of uh yeah looking at looking at some hands and discussing them 
and not too old, right? Like maybe like, oh, a... in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as recent as can be. I mean, uh, yesterday I did it with a friend, uh, a tournament that he had played the night before and, and I think he got third in it or something. And we just, uh, went through the hand, like it took like 45 minutes or an hour or something like that. Kind of like at this time of day, when I'm talking to you, like, um, before, before my tournament start in the morning, um, maybe I would do that. Let's say if I passed early, um, but, um, yeah, not, uh, I, I like, I haven't, uh, <laughs> embarrassed to say, but have not, have not used, uh, solvers, uh, have not done a uh, real good studying. Um, I've, I've messed around with, uh, Dominic's app, uh, DTO gotten the lowest possible grades ever. Um, we kind of we, we kind of were discussing this before and, and maybe I got off topic like the high roller world like I started playing them a little bit I sold action I felt great I I played one time I played 100k at at uh world series and I got I was the first person up to three times the starting stack I happened to get like a ridiculous table draw which was like super soft for on or for a 100k tournament with a bunch of non-professionals and just everything went my way my results overall in the high roller scene were like not amazing. Like the, the couple of caches that I had ended up um, in like either like two X cash or three X cash. They didn't, they didn't get huge. Like one of them was a seventh place finish, but seventh is not, you know, seventh is not that amazing when it's out of 18 people. But I never like, I never like started feeling like not confident in them. I just stopped playing them before I got anywhere close to that as as I became more aware of, of solvers and what they, and, you know, uh, the power of them, I guess, um, I became a lot less confident in my ability to hold my own in those tournaments. And, uh, feels like you need so, to get in there. You need to need to do some solving and at least get, get familiar yeah. with what yeah. can, what can be done and what cannot be done. Because in my opinion, yeah. there's a lot of things that cannot be done that folks think can be done with the solver. And I mean, even the high rollers, me and uh, James Romero came on the show and we were talking and he said, even at like 25 K's, you know, they, you know, he, I think it was a hundred K, um, a bunch of rich businessmen just flew in to take a shot, fire some bullets at a hundred K tournament. So there's still recreationals in the field and like the 25 K yeah. he was saying, you know, rich businessmen, recreational players put their girlfriends in the tournament who have never played poker before in their lives. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not going to say that these stories didn't happen. Obviously they did. I'm not calling him a liar, but, uh, when you're going to look through the percentage of 25 K's and the composition of the field, um, it's, yeah, yeah. The, my that, my, that's my just, point was there's still value like at every, you know, there's still, there's still going to be some, there's still going to be some weak spots in the field, regardless of. Of course, uh, yeah, there has to be some. Otherwise, the tournaments wouldn't wouldn't go off. But my my uh, yeah, I mean, no, there definitely there definitely is some. And um, but the but but uh, the when I was playing them, the whole math was like, okay, there's those recreational players are why I'm playing it, and the pros are maybe you know maybe they're slightly better than me, or I'm holding my own against them. Um, when every decision they're like 100% sharp and they're betting 53% of the pot and I'm betting 37% because I'm just not sharp. Like, it's just like every decision is just a little off. It's not like, it's not like some huge differences, but there's at least that there's at least that super sharpness. And then there, there is some spots where it's like, I mean, I mean, most of these like James Ramirez style players, like who are like 
actually like playing high rolls on a regular basis. It's like 32 blinds cut off against hijack. You can wake them up at two in the morning and they have their strategy down. I'm like, that happens to me. I'm like, I'm thinking what I'm doing, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm more, you know, and I don't even know like these feel and math and like, they're, they're like old terms that don't properly translate into nowadays. Like when I, I was an online player, I was a math, I was a pure math science player, but that was 10 years ago's math. You know, I'm just not up to date on all the, on all the proper science uh, related topics. And nowadays people will call me like a field player because of that, you know? So uh, I get, it, it drives me nuts hearing that as like an insult. Oh, these field players, these field players making their decisions. Like, first of all, let's quantify what field means. Field to me is your poker intuition that's built up on years of experience playing many, many hands that gives you a feeling, uh, quote unquote feeling when you're at a decision point to go one direction or the other. And like, this is this is most everybody experiences this in every single tournament that they ever play or every single cash game that they ever play, because this is our intuition. It's a subconscious mind that's processing tons of information that leads you to a decision. So it drives me crazy when people use the term feel player as like an insult, because it just, it, it's a really dumb insult. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And actually I feel like, uh, like, uh, yeah, people have used field player as as like a insult uh, historically. Um, I don't know so much. Like I got I got a, a high roller player. I was playing um, one of maybe probably one of the last like high roller style tournaments I was playing, which was like maybe two years ago. It was a 10k rake free satellite into the 300k, and I decided to play that um, at the beginning of the summer one year, and I was playing with one of these high roller regulars, um, you know, complete regular plays, like, you know, one of the most successful of them. And he goes, you're such a, like, he, he told me like you're a field player in a conversation we had, like, but it was like, as a compliment, it seemed to me like, um, so like it, it can definitely be done in both ways, but like he, 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 he was like telling me as a compliment, like, uh, I think <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, not now, now, now with the, the hindsight of your statement, maybe, maybe I can, I'm like, it's going through my head. Maybe was it really? But like, I think I'm pretty sure it was, it was a compliment. And um, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, definitely like a, like an IB style player. Like even if he can't properly explain everything, I mean, there's no one's, no one's thinking, especially like, let's say you go back to him and his peak. He's like crushing everybody. It's like, whether you can explain it or it's like directly based on the math or it comes from a different point of view if you're reaching the right conclusions on a consistent basis i mean <laughs> how can you argue with that yeah like, yeah you you can't and nobody's going to be able to explain verbatim specifically what goes through their head when they make decisions at poker tables all the time because there's so much information like there's so much information that you're taking into consideration when you're making a decision that like trying to verbally express it is almost a waste of time. It's like, it's super inefficient. Um, you know, you can I don't say, know. I, I can see both ways in that regard. Uh, my friend likes to say a statement, which I'm not sure I a hundred percent agree with, but he's like, if it's, if it's lacking in, uh, the, like, if you can't explain it well, you probably don't have the concept down so well. Okay. So yeah. let me, let me backtrack a little bit on yeah. what I'm saying. It's, it's inefficient for Phil Ivey to explain all of the decisions that he makes. 
Like yes. it would just take so much time, like yeah, so yeah. much but time and were, energy. If, like he could, in, yeah, if, yeah, yeah, give exactly. him a day, and he could he could formulate his thoughts and write everything out and take everything into consideration and you know write an right. essay online. But like it's inefficient because who the hell cares? It's not doing him any good. Um, and I think I think the major point is that he can like if necessary that that one day explanation could come out um and that's and that's the important part and so it's not just like some like oh i felt it you know but that it's like there's deep things behind it here's another point too every poker player that i've ever known in a spot like that they're always asking themselves why like i've made decisions that like in in the heat of battle i think are correct and my poker intuition, my instinct tells me, do this, take this action. And then I take it and it works out. And then automatically I'm asking myself, why did you do that? Why did you think that? What information did you pick up? How can I implement this into my game? Was it right? Was it wrong? Um, so you're constantly analyzing your own thought processes anyway. Just that's, that's my experience. Just, yeah, just yeah. Na- the natural progression of a poker player is to always ask yourself, why did you do what you did? Why? Why are you thinking the way that you are thinking, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's let, we're getting dangerously close to advertising for Matt Berkey, so let's not uh, let's not go there. I love Matt Berkey, actually. Uh, I think, oh, yeah, yeah. That, but that brand name they came up with, Sulfur Y, that's yeah, it's pretty beautiful, and uh, and it well, pisses well, me off every time I think about it. I'm like, God yeah, damn well, it! It's I just it's that. so good, like it's just yeah, so yeah. on point, you know. Yes, it but is. it's the truth. It's the heart of poker, and somehow. Yeah, yeah. And somehow he came up with it, and my hat's off to him. Yeah, um, I'm stuck with my shitty old enhancer edge. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do some lightning round questions, man, and then you can uh, go down there and take up for some dealers that get berated, yep. berated by the the old folks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what's some common poker advice you hear that you completely disagree with? Well, the first thing that I'll just, it's lightning round. So I'll do the first thing that came to mind, which would be uh, play for the win. Okay. Why? Uh, and, and explain. Uh, the, the explanation is, of course, uh, like ICM related concepts. So, like, when I, when I first started playing, you know, on TV, the pros would all say, play for the win. Don't, don't, like, don't care about moving up one or two spots because all the money's at the top. And the way people played in those days where people cared way too much about moving up one spot. And so you would actually make more money not caring at all about the win, uh, not caring all about moving up and, uh, and just caring about the win. And, and I took that to a next level, actually, in the olden days. And my, my advice was try and bubble. They're not going to let you bubble. You're going to accumulate so many chips, but your, your goal should be to try and bubble. And, uh, and, and, and I by that, you mean exploit the living shit out of the bubble exactly. by being exactly. an absolute lunatic maniac. Right. And, uh, and that kind of goes full circle into like my main event situations, like three or four of those times were within 1% of the money. Um, I was like, if 10% paid, like I was in the 11%, you know, and I was just like super clear and all of them, like nowadays were like spots where like I could just fold and be in the money. Like, uh, Probably I shouldn't be doing this hyper risk uh, move, but uh, but anyway, that's what got me there. That, that, that those were my ideas at the time, and um, but yeah, that was that was a big change going from uh, going from not caring at all about all these other, about about making the money or moving up and all that, and laughing at people who did that to now 
almost being one of them. But no, they're finding the right balance between these uh, contradicting ideas, which both have uh, merits. Yeah, you, you, you have to find the right balance. And I will, going back to like the 2000s to 2010 era of poker, there was a lot of value, especially in live tournaments, to winning them. You know, yes. se- secondary value. Like Jeff Madsen was on the show and he talked about like being a full tilt red pro and he got 5K a month just for being a full tilt yeah. red pro, right? Like, <laughs> the, yeah, you know, yeah. um, that's pretty good. That's, that's a pretty yeah. fun secondary benefit getting sponsorships and getting deals that, that are lucrative outside of the poker world. But I don't know how much of that exists in today's climate for just winning one tournament. I would think not, not so much. Yes. If you could gift all poker players one book to read, what would it be and why? <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. Cause I like, I listen to your podcast, so I should know. I should have at least somewhat expected. Uh, <laughs> the only one I remember is dusk or dawn. That's the only one that I'm, and that, doesn't take a lot of thought process i don't know if you do that every time um a book uh well i haven't read a book this year uh it is what it is i don't know if i'm embarrassed um maybe like one i you know i don't know like i was uh, i was like i go to like one of those statistical and like nasim talib style books but i don't even know if poker players actually need that they're one of the people's that probably don't need that as a whole it could be anything, honestly. Yeah, like I know, I know. Something, something <laughs> like we're we're all the same human beings. Be nice to each other, and like we're more similar than not similar. But yeah, but I don't, I don't have a book to read. Uh, I yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't know that the Bible actually tells people that. So uh, yeah, yeah. Now you're treading on dangerous ground. Yes, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We're we'll we'll segue <laughs> segue away from that. Um, yeah. Okay, if you could erect a billboard. Every poker player's got to drive past on their way to the casino. What does it say? Okay, so that that I guess that's kind of where my last answer was a little more correct, you know. But kind of we're all, we're all the same. We're all in in this together. People are more similar than different. Hundred percent. Be nice. Something like that. We're all human beings, and atom yeah. for atom, in different situations, um, we would be like we would be more like the people that we don't like than we are comfortable with yes what wisdom would you share to listeners of the show who are hell-bent on realizing their poker dreams uh bankroll management is really really key uh you can't you, you know money is the total trade if you if you lose it you don't have any uh you don't have any tools uh slow and steady there's no rush uh there will be tournaments tomorrow there will be tournaments the day after you don't need to play. There is no must. You don't have to play the main event. You don't have to play the main event at the stop. You don't have to play the 400 re-entry. You don't have to play anything. There's there's never a must-play tournament. There's never a must-play situation. You're probably better off if you only play uh, 90% of the days that you would play and not play the 10% worst days. Of course, it's very hard to uh, predict when those bad days would happen. But, um, you know... Uh, you know, probably for someone like me, you know, like I probably overworked in my history, um, not taking off enough days, not taking off enough time, balance, you know. Uh, I love that in the same conversation, you say that you don't work harder than anybody else, but you also don't take days off. <laughs> you yeah, also I mean, work harder than most people. <laughs> And yeah, I guess I guess uh, I, I guess I put in more hours than that than than most people. Um, I I'm a little bit uh, that the work hard part gets me maybe triggered a little bit. Um, but uh, because we're thinking of poker as hard work, right? We're thinking of sitting in a circle with a bunch of people looking at cards is uh, 
you know, a right. hard and thing even, to do. Well, even within poker, there's harder work and there's soft and there's less hard work. So like I never 20 tables, you know, like I was, I nowadays when I play online, I play two or three tables and I don't start up a new one if I'm getting deep. One um, can make the argument that 20 tabling is actually less hard than like four or six tabling, but I don't want to. I don't yeah, want to go okay. down that path in that like fair, fair, fair enough, and and that's and that's one of the reasons why I you know especially with my style um, I'm not I'm I'm just I'm just a high VP up here, and I'm not you know uh, this yeah you're going to battle right you're going to yeah, find you're going to see the spots you're going to find the spots you're not going to just yeah, go, get in autopilot mode and click around like it's exactly. never worked for me either like there's diminishing returns six tables maximum I've tried playing ten I've tried playing twelve and like. I turn into autopilot button clicker yep. and I lose my natural edge, which is seeing some of the unconventional spots and making the exploits and taking advantage of tendencies. Cause I can't see the tendencies when there's 12 decisions yeah, that yeah, are going yeah. on all the time. And like in, in tournaments, um, if you miss that one spot with 24 people left, you get seventh instead of getting third. Like you just had less, like it diminishing returns. Knows, so like, yeah, yeah. These, these, the, the one, the one thing that happens could just be the difference, you know, between you know, uh, could, especially with these top high payouts. Because you could say, like in a cash game, okay, like if I miss this spot and I lose, you know, two tenths of a big blind, but I, but I'm making that up, having these extra ones, I'll still make more money over the long run. Um, but with, but I mean, I guess that's still true in tournament somewhat. But with the, with the high stakes level, with with the fact that not all your stakes are are equal. It's it's very easy to like to miss those those super high stakes spots. I guess it crushes you in cash games too, for sure. I yeah, love yeah, I yeah. love playing as against I, the, the ten. Yeah, I love yeah. playing against the ten tabling guys because I know like I'm playing four. I'm going to have a much better handle on what they're doing, and they're just going to be do 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 autopilot yeah. mode. It yeah, easier yeah. to get a get a beat on what they're doing. Um, yeah. So a couple more questions, and we'll get you out of here. I do want to ask this. I want to circle back to this one that I passed up earlier. We've talked about a lot of a lot of the joy that you've had, you know, binking your million. I, I want to ask you, when it comes to pain in your poker career, what's the first memory that comes to mind? So uh, the first thing that comes to mind is going to be weird to some people. It's the, it's the idea of having highly successful financial years that are majority filled with pain. So in tournaments, we lose the vast majority of the time. And then even when we cash, the vast majority of caches are not really that great. And even the great ones, even if you finish third for a career high score, you still are kind of let down that you didn't get second or first. And so like I, 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 can, I can recall, you know, having, let's say, a 2007 year where I had a great financial year, but I went to sleep probably pissed off like 280 of the night. Um, <laughs> You know, so like that, that, and that's like so natural. That's the normal way people play tournaments are if they bust that day was a fail and they're pissed off that like, that's the net, that's completely normal thing. That's how we learn how to play tournaments. And it's something that I'm still not over at all, but uh, that's, that's something that my goal is to get to and to try and view my own success or failure, not by the one tournament result. It seems so obvious. It's like crazy to like, it's, it's like so obvious that, when I win a tournament, I didn't do everything right, obviously. And same thing's true. When I lose a tournament and I didn't do it, like I could easily have done everything right. It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that I did something wrong. And certainly it's not like, even if I did do something wrong, it's not like one big epic fail. It's like, all, like, like, like the same way I wanted to uh, 
split my Aussie Millions win into 10 years and amortize or whatever the word is, I also want to uh, like look at my year is like, okay, I'm going to play 300 entries, you know, 40 of them are going to amount into caches. 260 of them are not going to be caches. They're going to be busts out of the money. I know that going into it. Viewing those 260 as fails now, no, like at the end of the year, it's going to be a financially successful year. That's that's the job. That's that's the goal. And those 260 fail, those 260 bust outs are just, they're the same level of success as the 40 caches, as the two or three wins. Every day is exactly the same. That's you, the way it should it, be. It's, see, like, you're seeing the logical versus the emotional part of, yes. the, of the human experience, right? And like, yeah, anybody that that anybody that doesn't touch on the emotional aspect of poker is not doing themselves justice because emotions are part of the game. Every human feels the same way when they bust in a tournament, when they get busted in a giant pot in a cash game, um, when they they lose for five or ten days in a row where they bust 25 tournaments. You feel like a loser. You feel like you're not good. You feel dumb. Regardless of anything that's ever happened to you in the past, you still have these feelings of self-doubt, and it's all emotion. So learning how to deal with this emotion is like – paramount as a professional poker player because if you can't deal with this if you're um circling all the way back to the beginning of the the podcast if you're emotionally compromised you're never going to make it as a poker player period you have no chance regardless of your skill level yeah Um, yeah anything you'd like to add um i mean uh and the the I guess I guess one of the things that stick out for for the pain thing for me also has been like uh, after you know in let's say uh, twenty let's say twenty thirteen uh, actually uh, let's say twenty thirteen yeah so I'm playing so I've been a highly successful online player for eight or nine years already Black Friday hit I I moved I moved away uh, to, I moved to Canada and played online for a year and a half and now now I decided okay I'm going to go on the live circuit. Um, and and play more live stuff, um, which I had already been doing more and more of. But now I'm going to go full time live. And I start off playing small because I'm natural, uh, naturally conservative. I'm playing nitty. I'm playing circuit stuff. And um, I wasn't right away. I had some success here or there. But at some stage within the first year and a half, I went on like a hundred or 150k downswing. Uh, there were some higher buy-ins in there, but not like, I mean in maybe one 10k maybe two i doubt there was two you know the main event but i don't i don't know but it was you know mainly 1500 mains 300 prelims stuff like that like i i went on 100 plus k downswing playing against people who i thought were like way below my skill level like i just come from winning online like i should not be losing at these at these lower stakes so that was uh that probably was uh, i don't know if it was peak pain i was already you know financially somewhat secure and but I did, but that was like, what, how am I losing to these guys? And is it going to, when is, you know, maybe I'm not good enough anymore. Like maybe my style, like everything I thought about poker is not correct. And like, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. You, the, the chickens are coming home to roost. You just got yeah. luck, lucky online for 10 years and now you can't hack it in the live world. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny looking back, but at the time it's like, what, like, oh my God. You yeah. understand it when you're in it. Like yeah. hi- hindsight, it looks silly, but when you're in it, it's amazing what your brain can tell you and the lies that you can believe. Yeah. Yeah. And for, and for some people like 
not into getting into politics, but okay, we, we won't we won't talk Trot. We'll talk Phil Helmuth again. He's a much easier guy to bash on, I guess. But those kind of those kind of people, they fool themselves into thinking they're like way better. Like for them, it's like much easier for them to think positive thoughts about themselves. For me, it's much easier for me to think negative thoughts about themselves. But it's the same. We do you have feel same... do, do you feel a little uh, jealous of the people that only think the positive thoughts and have like? Uh, so just, I had I'll a... say I'll say arrogance about it. Yeah, about them. yeah. So I had a guy. I used to do a lot of poker coaching, um, but I don't do that anymore. But um, I I used to uh, run run like a poker coaching school with a guy who was way more into that part of the. He, he thought like that, you know, super, super confident. Uh, he used to say, I could take a break from poker for like 10 years and come back and I'll still crush. And then he took a break for three months and um, things didn't work out so well <laughs> after that. Uh, um, but, but so like I did, I, at one stage I had a lot of jealousy for that, for that thought process, at least, I had, or not even jealousy, but I was like, I want to have more of that in my life. And I think I've gotten some of it, but I think, for being a professional poker player, I think like the, the underconfidence and like, like if you, if, so let's say me, let's say I could have been playing high rollers and now I'm stuck and I'm only playing a, a min. Um, not yet. Thank you. One second. <laughs> Housekeeping. Housekeeping. Yeah. Um, so, so let's say I could have played higher, but I'm okay. So I didn't make as much, and I'm still a successful poker player. And and I like didn't reach my peak level. Like I could have been Jungleman, and instead I'm Ariango. Okay, you know maybe maybe that's a possibility. Um, but let's say let's say the other way was true, where uh, I was overconfident, and now now I'm going to go bust and not not be able to play because I'm going to be playing. So like the dangers of of the overconfidence seem more than the dangers of the underconfidence. Of course, the, the best thing is to like balance have a healthy middle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but 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 for me it's uh, it's worked out really good and like uh and like some of some of it has been like probably really helpful. Like that that hundred hundred and fifty K downswing playing low stakes would have been so much higher playing high stakes. And like I've I, I, I mentally was not strong. So like, I wouldn't have been any stronger had I been playing high stakes. That's for sure. You know, um, I can make the argument that after losing 100, 150 K, like you're mentally strong, right? Like after going on a run for a year and still firing the tournaments and doing this for a living, like there is mental strength there. There's mental strength when you get your teeth kicked in, when you do something that is, um, objectively dumb and you punt away a buy-in it, it's, Take somebody who's mentally strong to gra- reach in their pocket, grab some money, and sit down the next day and participate in a poker tournament. Um, yes, to some extent. Yeah, yeah. Again, all these things, I feel like I, I, I feel like it's so much tougher for your average poker player who who doesn't have the same level of success as me and doesn't have the bankroll and history and all that. Um, if I had done some like. I know for a fact, like just in the last year, like a bunch of my plays would have gotten me dropped if I would have had a backup. Like, <laughs> they would have changed my life. I, I, like, there's no question. Like, I'm thinking about this, like Montreal hand, where like I cold four bet shove forty blinds with King Deuce. Like, every single person agrees that it's horrible. There's no justification. There's no anything. No one, no one can even like come up with anything like half rational for it. Whatever, you know. Just I can come up with something half rational. I mean, half, it's it's half. pretty it's pretty easy to come up with something half rational, right? Yeah, yeah, but 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 not not when you're the backer. 
not when you see that done with like 40 left in a huge tournament. Like it's like, that's like, that's like dropping worthy uh, material to, to do it's that. So st- of- it's so short-sighted and foolish though. It's like, Oh, I'm going to invest in Apple. They lost 5%. Oh, I'm done with Apple. I don't believe in them anymore. Like you made a decision based on historical results on this player to invest in them. Like, yeah, everybody's going to do something stupid. Like, all the time, like I do th- stupid things every day that I yeah. play poker. And I guess like different, di- yeah, there, there is some, there is some, uh, and, and like, I'm probably like mixing together like the high roller levels and the main event levels where yeah. in the high roller levels, if you do something at all out of line there, you actually do get dropped in the mains. There is that flexibility and there's more of an openness to this idea that you can actually play very exploitative and do somewhat dumb shit from it- a theoretical from from all perspectives this is bad really dumb and bad for backers in the whole poker world because when you have your horses um playing under this mindset where if they do something stupid if they do something like unorthodox that they've been doing forever because this is how they're programmed and how they play you're fi- you're trying to find these spots right you're cold formatting yep. king deuce why? Maybe cold four betting is super under bluffed. Maybe maybe the initial preflop raiser um, is raising too loose, and the guy three betting him is ra- you know raising yeah, yeah, three yeah, betting yeah, yeah, yeah. way too loose. So you're just taking an exploitative spot. Like yeah. when you have people playing under the mindset that they can't do these things that they're programmed to do, they have yeah, to yeah, actively uh, fight their poker instinct. How do you think that affects ROI long term? Oh it's God. going to crush I, ROI long term. Yeah, I remember I had let's say. Uh, Three years ago, four years ago, um, a uh, a mid stakes grinder on the East Coast hit a bad beat jackpot and got got a bunch of money in his hands and decided he wanted to take as much action as he could, backing other people in the poker world. And um, I got into a relationship with him, and he proceeded to tell me, "I don't want to have small pieces. If I had take ten percent in somebody, I feel like what could have been if I would have had fifty or sixty percent." And they want so his 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 thing was he wanted max in everyone, and he was trying to get so for me, I didn't need to be selling to these tournaments, but he was offering me such high prices, but only under the condition that I sold heaps to him, so it was almost like some of them were free rolls some some were like he bought fifty percent at high markup, but so like I was getting these deals of a lifetime, I was rooming with him, I was friends with him, spending a lot of time talking poker with him. He was my backer at the time, but he was definitely worse at poker than me. And um, But he had these really strong notions. And basically, the notion boiled down to if you got it in bad, that was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like such a results-oriented uh, person. And like, uh, and uh, it was like, let's say like he put me, he free-rolled me into a tournament. It would be like, I know what I want to do in this tournament. And I know what he would want to do. And it's like he had like I know my play makes more money in the long run, but I'm gonna have to deal with him after the tourney. It's not that different. I'll just be a nit about it and and do what he would want to do. And yeah, it's definitely not good. Yeah, that's bull. That's that's bullshit and just really bad. Here's the bat signal for all of you guys running staking groups and staking players. Just use me as a consultant. I'll deal with the players. You just collect your money at the end of the year. We'll maximize ROI. It's good for everybody. Um, <laughs> Ari, what's a what's a project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart, if you have any right now? I do not have any projects I'm working on. Uh, I guess, yeah, the project I'm most working on is paying my taxes for last year. Every, <laughs> every year, it's such a nightmare. I can barely stay on top of all my things. Uh, 
yeah it's like yeah I, I play too much it's like it's so dumb also like i'll i'll jump into this like small buying poker tournament my my hourly rate is so much higher dealing with taxes or dealing with whatever these other things that i hate to deal with are and paying bills and and that and uh but you're an adult because this is a, this is adulting 101 but I, I know i know i know it's it's embarrassing and as i'm saying that like i have work i could do today and i probably will go jump into a 360 tournament <laughs> oh my god yeah 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 so like uh, uh, well, maybe <laughs> what's your current big goal in poker um i uh i'm uh I'm, I, I don't have a good vision for how I see the next few years playing out or even longer term than that. I don't have, nece- I don't have big goals uh, in poker for sure. And then outside of poker, I'm, I'm not sure if I want to. Uh, I guess like I'm, I'm 36 now. I can wait longer to start a family if I want to. Um, but at the same time, if, I, if that's something that I really do want to do, then maybe I should uh, spend more time trying to find a partner, which uh, is not very likely, like in my current lifestyle, where I live in a certain city for two weeks, and then I move to another city in two weeks. Uh, but at the same time, I'm loving life. I'm really enjoying what I do. I, I don't know if I want to make like huge changes to what's going on. Um, yeah, I love playing live. I love playing online. I really love playing online in places where it's legal i like feel such a big difference when i play in pennsylvania or new jersey or vegas compared to like playing in toronto or amsterdam or on the international sites forget about the american sites we won't go into that i do not feel comfortable playing on them um at all and lucky for me i don't have to um but uh yeah yeah so it's like i don't yeah it's funny i see so many parallels in you and me you're 36. I'm 36. You started playing poker 2004. I started playing poker 2004. When I met my wife, um, you know, it's been five or six years ago now, and we got serious. And I started staying at her place. This was like on the on the heels of me living at Commerce and living in the Bay Area and just you know living out of a suitcase, battling in cash games, coming back, coming back, spending time with my kids. And then flying back out again and like just this whole back and forth type thing. And when I, when I moved in with my wife, I, I, I lived out of a suitcase for like a month, maybe two months. Like I, I never took my – and she's like – one day she's like, you know, you can, you can put your stuff like in the dresser, right? Like you don't have to, you don't have to just have this suitcase. And I remember thinking like I, – I, I had this thought that like I have a home. Like it's been yeah. like – it's been like five years. I have a, a – dresser to put my clothes in it it almost yeah, felt yeah. It's weird gonna, it's gonna be interesting when i when i get back to uh that more normal kind of life uh and it's kind of crazy because like the first from 04 till 2011 i was like such a i never i I almost never left my house i almost never traveled i like stayed at home i could have been like a stay-at-home dad or whatever like i i was just at home all the time like it was such a normal kind of life somewhat you know i mean it had its own abnormalities, but uh, when it comes to the traveling part at all, and then now it's like I'm on the go 24 seven or whatever, 365. Yeah, it's tough. You're gonna have yeah. to gonna have to bag yourself a poker player, or make some some serious lifestyle changes. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I'll definitely have to make li- lifestyle changes, but I mean, I'm assuming that I will uh, want to at some stage. Like, uh, you that's know, a this, fair point. That's a fair you know, point. this crazy traveling is not sustainable. I mean. That, that, that's never been the thought that I would be doing this in my fifties, you know? 
Yeah. It's fun though. Enjoy it. It's enjoy fun. it while, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, while it's, it's going on. Fun. And it's like, uh, you know, financially it makes, it makes more sense than like traveling like three weeks a month and like being home and having a base a quarter of the month. But as I'm more financially secure, that might make more sense from like a happiness perspective, just having some sort of base, even playing a bunch of live tournaments still could make more sense. And then maybe cutting back uh, over time slightly on the travels. Uh, I mean, you're, uh, you're a smart guy. You'll figure it out. Yeah. 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 You'll yeah, figure yeah. it out. Yeah. Um, so I think so. Aria, I've loved, loved this conversation very much. I would like to speak for hours more. I'm sure we could, maybe we will in the future. Uh, final question. Where can the chasing poker greatness audience find you on the, worldwide webs um i'm on twitter i think it's ariangel poker at the moment um i've kind of changed the name every now and again but i think that's what it is now but if you go if you google ariangel twitter i'm sure it'll come up had to um, go into go into witness protection from all the trolls no no i just, <laughs> met, just messed around uh, and uh i mean uh probably the best place to find me is if you go play live tournaments in whatever area you live in, I will eventually make it there almost for sure. Yeah. Very similar to Darren Elias. When I, I asked him that question, he's like, I'll be at the Brigada. You can find me there. <laughs> oh, well, I, I very much enjoy being compared to Darren Elias anytime, any place, no matter what it is. So yeah, he is a beast. And yes, uh, yes. thanks. Thank you for your time and energy, man. I, I've, I've really, really enjoyed it. Thanks so much, Brad. It's been good. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.